If you have your Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 1? Just kidding, John chapter 2. Ha, 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 ha. Just seeing who's paying attention. John chapter 2. We are officially out of John 1 after seven weeks, I counted. Um, we're now into John chapter 2. Now, uh, it took a little bit because we had to lay a lot of groundwork uh, with our foundation and really just an idea that make sure we all have the understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. So today we get to talk about Jesus' first miracle that he performed, and, uh, and it involved a party and wine. And, uh, and now half the room got really nervous. <laughs> okay, I've got a lot to cover, um, and we've got something special that we're going to do. Uh, so I'm going to get right at to it. What you're going to find in this passage is that this is going to set kind of a, um, a theme in motion, particularly for the next several chapters. You're going to find uh, that particular theme that Jesus makes things new. Jesus makes us new. That was why he came. He didn't come to fix or repair you. He came to replace you and give you a new heart and a new life. And you're going to find that pretty much from here on into probably chapter 12 is what we're going to find the same theme that's going on with these miracles. Um, so John chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. We're going to go with 12 verses. And, um, and I'm going to be really quick because I've got something to do. On the third day, uh, again, i got to point these things out um, because the Bible is such an incredible uh, book for those who are, who are in this room right now who may be second-guessing the Word or second-guessing the Scripture or the authority of Scripture or maybe perhaps second-guessing uh, your faith in Christ. Um, the Bible is very detailed, and, and like I said last week, you won't find those types of details in, in ancient fiction writings. Uh, and so this is, the, the writer here wants to point out some stuff uh, and wants to give you some details because it's true, because he was there. This is his account. And I also love, and I want to point out, and I told you I got to be quick, so I got to really hurry this thing up. Uh, on the third day, does that sound familiar? Okay. On the third day, a wedding, it's just incredible, it took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. That's my kind of Jesus. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. Jesus responded, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? My hour has not yet come. And I giggle just like you did every time I read that verse. Like a little 12-year-old, I'm going to come, I'm a woman. And then Frida would slap you. That's true. Do whatever he tells you. His mother told the servants. I love her response. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. He, he, so they filled them to the brim. When he said to them, now, if you're doing math, that's at least 100 to 120 gallons. That's a party, all right? It's not a get-together. <laughs> it's a party. 
So that's a lot. Fill these jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. So he said, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And when the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the Welch's grape juice first, and then people are so filled with joy by this sugarous drink. Sorry, Baptist, I had to do it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Well, actually, it was grape juice. Oh, oh okay, whatever. Everyone sets out the fine wine first. Because you don't set out Welch's and then bring out the great value. Right? I mean, come on now. This is why Jesus was accused of being a drunkard. He was not a drunkard, but he was accused of being a drunkard. Because Jesus didn't hold out the Welch's, all right? He brought out the good stuff. Not the box stuff either that you, that's just disgusting, all right? He brought out the Valley good stuff. So everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior. Now, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana, Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. After this, he went down to Capernaum. Together with his mother, his mother still loved him, his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. Now, here's what I don't want you to see when you're reading the scripture, because I think this can be a manipulation of the text. If you read the scripture and say, oh, see, Jesus will provide everything I need because it's right here. Neither do I want you to see in this text that Jesus will um, pour into your empty dreams all right, yeah, because I've heard those sermons out of this text, and that's not what's happening. What I want you to see, which is what's really going on, and this is the only point that I have for you today, is that Jesus makes us new. Now, how he makes us new is the question. The first thing and the first way he makes us new is that a new life in Christ births an obedient life. A new life in Christ it births an obedient life. This stage is so squeaky, it's driving me mad. I can't believe it, what's going on here. Listen to what he says. What does this have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Now, it doesn't matter how you say woman. It's just rude. That's what we tell our children. You are being rude. What is wrong with you? All right, and so if you, you, you think this, is, this gives you a green light to call your mama woman, I hope your mama ain't the type that puts you in time out. I hope she backhands you. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is like, woman. Now, here's how I know this is, like a, this is a strong, almost like a stiff arm that Jesus gives his, his mom. Now, it's not disrespect because Jesus is without sin, but really this is, I, I just call it the stiff arm of Jesus. And the reason why he's doing this is because in the Greek, this would have read, what does this have to do with me? Like, what, what's going, like, the Greek would have, have given a more emphatic, who do you think you are? Like, you coming at me like this, this, is, this ain't how we roll. I got here's Jesus. What Jesus is doing, don't miss this, is that he is, he is putting a boundary now in between who he's really going to be obedient to. And he's having to do this in such a way that comes across very rude. 
Again, he's having to stiff arm his mom just so everyone around him knows that he's only got one authority and now he only obeys one person. And that's God. And so here's Jesus creating the space around him like, sorry, but I take my, my cues from one person and that's God. I'm not going to take my cues from you anymore. Now, now you can't do that, but Jesus can do that. All right. Because you can't go to the law when they pull you over because you were speeding and say, sorry, I don't take my cues from you anymore. I take my cues from Jesus. I hope they lock you up for your smart mouth. You know what I'm saying? You can't do that. So, so I want you to hear that. I'm not advocating for you to break the law or, or do your own thing. That was last week's sermon, how you may be your own authority. But reality is, is that we have one authority, one authority alone, and that's Jesus. And so here's Jesus painting this picture to us that I've got one person that I follow after, and that's God. Jesus is creating a boundary around he and his family. Now, you got to wonder, um, and this is a thought I had, and this is, I, I don't want to say that this is how Jesus would have thought, because thank God I'm not Jesus, but this is, this is what I thought when I read this. Maybe Jesus was a little aggressive with his mom is because he's asking her to do what seems like a petty miracle. Didn't it seem like that way? It's something trivial. So what? What's this got to do with me? You gonna wine? Really? It's the groom's fault. He was responsible for that, not me. Like, so if I'm I'm Jesus, I'm like, what does this have to me? Here's, here's what I want you to know. And here's what I'm thinking in the scripture. I would have been a little bit more upset if Mary hadn't have asked Jesus to perhaps raise somebody close to him from the dead yet. I'm thinking about his stepdad. Where's Papa Joe at? We don't know. That's what my opinion is. He's probably dead. Life expectancy of ancient history, 40. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're over 40, but let's just, let's just, let's just throw this out there. Half of the room is gone. All right? I, and, I'm, and I'm almost there. I got just a couple more years to live, and I'm I'm gone. 40 in his, I mean, if you live beyond 40 in this time period, and we know Joseph, Joseph would have been at least 50-ish around that age. Now, Mary's, man, she's, she's trucking it because she's at least in her mid-40s. She's like, I'll show all you jokers. I'll outlive the expected uh, age in this era here. So somewhere along down the road, if I'm Jesus, I would have been upset like, Mom, why did you ask me to raise my stepdad from the dead? Did you go ask me to do something that seems so trivial? Now, I know that's, not, that's just my opinion, y'all, all right? We don't know where Joseph is. We just can assume that he's dead because most likely he was. We don't, we don't think he ran off with another woman. I mean, he was a pretty upright guy. I mean, he took Jesus to the temple when he was 12, and after that, poof, Joe was gone. We know Joseph trained Jesus to be a carpenter, so here's Mary, and I've got, to, I've got to defend her a little bit, because if that's the case, then it's only right for her to go to Jesus, right? Jesus, my Wi-Fi ain't working. Can you come fix it? <laughs> Somebody change. What's wrong with my iPad? <laughs> this is what my mother-in-law does to me all the time. She's like, can you come fix my Candy Crush for me real quick? Just, I'm like, yeah, I'm tech support. Yeah, no, I'll do it. 
my mom was sometimes like, well, this computer ain't working right. You think you can fix it? I'm like, sure. <laughs> because that's what we're supposed to do, right? So Mary's, you know, so Mary's rightfully so. She's going to Jesus. She's like, they out of wine. <laughs> fix it. Because that's what she was supposed to do. All right? So in her defense, I'll give her that. But Jesus is like, no, that's not how it works any longer. I've got to create this boundary because I need you to understand that I have one authority and I'll obey one voice only, and that's God's. Might that be a lesson to us? That we obey the Father and not our own authority? Now, here's how I know Jesus is, is at least creating this boundary between he and his family. If you'll recall in Luke Luke chapter 11, Jesus was walking amongst the crowd and a woman cries out and says, blessed is the womb and blessed is the, the, the breast that fed the infant Jesus. And Jesus looked at her and he said, no, 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 no. Rather, blessed be the people who hear and obey the word of God. Amen. You see what Jesus just did? He's like, listen, there is no... You don't come to me if you're like my family, I receive you. It's not about family inheritance here. Now it's about faith and followers. In Mark chapter 3, uh, later on in the last part of the chapter, if you'll remember this time where Jesus' mother at this point and, and the brother, some scholars believe they were coming to get him and, and lock him up because they just thought that Jesus had gone crazy. And so his disciples said, hey, Jesus, your mama's here. And, and your brothers, they hear, they come to get you. And Jesus said, okay, who are my mother and my brothers? Amen. And he looked around the room and he said, you're my mother, you're my brothers, you're my sisters. Because you don't get to Jesus because of your family. You're not born into the faith. Here's what Jesus is trying to make that distinction between the people. Mother Mary, she's just a woman. Now, I know that's got a lot of problems with, with some Catholic people, but that's true. Mother Mary, she's just a woman. She has no right access to me just because she's my mom. And that's what Jesus is trying to distinguish right here. He says, I have one authority, and that is to obey the Father. That's what's going on. And the lesson for us is that we have one authority, and that's God's word. We obey it. When God tells us to do something, we do it. When God tells us to go proclaim the gospel, we do it. When God tells us do not fear, we don't fear. When God tells us to love, we love. These aren't suggestions. These are his commands. And we, as children of God, we obey him. So here is the first sign that Jesus gives. And the second thing about what Jesus does in this new life is that Jesus brings a new life. This is incredible because it's a new life. All right, I know that's redundant, but I need you to get that into your heart. Listen to what happens because you need to understand the purification system here. Now, verse 6, now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons Fill the jars with water. Now, despite Jesus just kind of making a scene right there with his mom, and Mary just probably was like, fool, y'all better listen to what he says. Because, you know, like Mary's probably like, he's going to do it. 
talk to me like that. Y'all do what he says. <laughs> All that's conjecture. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water, it had become wine. Listen, Jesus came in this moment to symbolize that he comes to make things new. Amen. He comes to make things new. He doesn't come to make adjustments in your life. He comes to bring and give you a new life. He doesn't come and say, you know what? I'll remove the hatred out of your life, but you know, I'll let you keep that resentment. I'll let you keep the bitterness. That's all right with me. We'll work on that later. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't come so that you can have joy and a little bit of uh, bitterness, right? No, he comes that you have life to the full. So he doesn't come to repair you. It's a replacement. And so here's what Jesus is doing, because this is kind of dirty and nasty, if you didn't catch this. There are jars, stone jars filled with water, but you need to understand that these are purification water. Y'all, that's nasty. These jokers were washing their hands. All right, they didn't have hand sanitizer. They just go press and it pours out a little soap foam thing. No, their hands were dirty. This is a dirty environment, dirty culture. And so not only are some of these people washing their hands, but they cleanse in their body. And I let your mind wander with that. Jesus scours out in the room. He said, I got an idea. I'm going to use the dirtiest thing in this room to purify it. Not so much so you see a miracle of wine here, but Jesus is replacing. Here's Jesus making things new. He's replacing the old Jewish purification system by giving them a parable of a new purification that's to come. Jesus isn't just making water into wine here. Jesus is giving them a shadow of how he is going to one day purify the dirtiest of dirty jokers by pouring out his new wine of blood over us and washing us and making us clean and new. That's what Jesus is doing here. And he looks at the dirtiest, nastiest thing in the room. And he says, you know what? I'll use that. And I'll make it clean. I'll make it good. I'll make it useful. And I'll make it like there ain't nothing like it around. This will be the best capsule you ever tasted in your life. 120 gallons of it. I don't know how many bottles that is, but that's a lot, y'all. It's this image of an overabundance of God's blood and his wine poured out for the forgiveness of all. It's this image that one day Christ will pour out his blood as a sign of his grace and mercy. So Jesus here is giving us a shadow that I've come to replace the old purification system with a new purification system. And how you become clean is not by your works through the old rituals of the law. But now how you become clean is you come through me and my blood and my work. Because Jesus comes to make things new. I want my uh, friend Willie to come up here. And he wants to, I want to share 
I want him to share some of his story and how Jesus Christ came and made him new. So, Willie, if you can come up here. Would y'all give it up for Willie? Y'all going to give us just a second. We, we did this a couple weeks ago. There you go. I got your hand right here, Willie. Come on. There's going to be a step right here. Step up. Yeah, step up. There you go. All right, now right behind you is a stool. Yeah, there you go, there you go, there you go, there you go. All right. All right we did this a couple weeks ago, Celebrate Recovery. And I, I, I went to Lacey. I was like, hey, can you uh, just send me those questions you sent? Because that was really good. I just want to steal everything you just did. And, um, <laughs> but it was very powerful. And uh, so, Willie, I'm going to turn this mic on. Um, I don't need no mic. Yeah, you do. <laughs> it's being recorded. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you all know Willie, okay? What you may not know is a part of his story and how God made him new. And I want to ask him some questions. And uh, in that, he'll share uh, some of his story. Uh, so, Willie, we want to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Um, Really, what were some key events, maybe some key people um, that impacted your life as a child? Well, um, I was born in West Point, Georgia, 61 years ago. You know, uh, me, Jean Miller, she come here sometime. Her husband brought my grandfather and uh, my father up here. My father married my mom, so they had nine children. And I had, you know, my dad had three outside kids. They older than I am. So it was eight girls and four boys. And I was in the middle of eight girls. <laughs> four older than me, four younger than me. Anybody married know what women's is. <laughs> but they, they were sweet. They were sweet growing up and everything. They you were mean too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <coughs> at, at what point, you know, we celebrated 10 years uh, of freedom for you a couple weeks ago. Yeah, May the 5th. Yeah, May the 5th. What people don't know is probably how, that, how, how you led to that life prior to your freedom. What event, what caused that moment for you to begin to abuse drugs? What caused me to use drugs? Yeah. Well, I, will, I had a good life, but uh, when I was running with my friends in school, wasn't integrated back then. And so the white people used to live on one side of the railroad track, and we lived on one side. So they'll steal their mama pills, and we'll steal the moonshine. And we'll go out there and play with each other. And so uh, I got drunk and went home. My mama liked to kill me. So I, I, I was eight years old. So I didn't drink no more until I got what you call grown. You know, because uh, I had some good parents. They had rules and principles 
that you had to go by. And so she said, they beat me so bad, uh, I was scared to get drunk and come home again. So uh, I didn't drink no more until I got married. At what point did you start? Uh, you, it was alcohol for you, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. What was some of the damage that that it caused? Well, I'm going to go back to it here. But when uh, okay. I was 19, I got married when I turned 20. So I had a good little start, you know, working for myself, you know. So since I said I was grown, that one thing I don't want y'all young folks to say, y'all grown. Because when you get grown, you get stupid. <laughs> you know. Because when I said I was grown, so since I had my own business, my own wife and my own child, I could get high. Because my homeboy, I don't want to smoke marijuana. Because my homeboy was smoking marijuana, going to the club and getting drunk and getting beat up. And I don't want to get beat up. And so uh, I got on snout powder because I was a gambler. And I like to stay up and stuff in the, in the chain into addiction real fast. Hmm. I've heard you talk about this. A lot, but what was your lowest point? Well, my lowest point went on. I started going to jail, losing everything, and then I felt like I wasn't no good. You know, before then, you know, I used to go across on the bridge on 85 a lot of nights and stand on that bridge and wanted to jump down in front of a travel truck with a rope around my neck and stuff. I just stand there and cry because I felt worthless. You know, I had all my family, I had all my home, cars and everything, all my business. And I would go to the gambling game, win money, and then I go crack it up and everything. Then I get broken, I be standing on a, on a abandoned house. And one night, uh, it was a snowstorm came with nobody out but me. And, and men were breaking and falling. The, the guy gave me $100 to go get some drugs for them. I walked from 85 over to the project and bought the drug and carried it back to them. And they put me out in the cold. Didn't even give me none. And I went and sat on my mama perky and cried. I said, look at Willie McQueen walking in a snowstorm for somebody else to get them some drugs. And then he give me no. That just how far I had went down the scale. And I got myself together and went in my mama's house. And my mama said she was wondering where I was. She was glad that I had came home. But she didn't know what was going through my mind. I just wanted to kill myself because I wasn't no good for me and my daughter or nobody. Um, was the what brought you to that moment of surrender? Well, I had 
I'm losing my eyesight. You know, so I have a thing to get a check. You know, you know, I got my check. And I went out, got with some of my friends. You know, I stayed with them about four hours. I was broke. They put me out the house, and it was raining. Couldn't see. I tripped over the curry and felt in the rope. And everybody was passing by. Oh, nigga, you ain't blind. Quit acting and everything. And all that down. And I was trying to make it to the four-lane highway in West Point so I could get run over. And the guy, he almost hit me. He told me where to get out the road before I run And I cussed him out. I called him everything so he could hit me. I wanted him to hit me. He said, no, nah, that ain't Lana Willie. He said, Willie don't act like that. And he called my sister, and they came and got me. And I went to Moulton, Georgia. I never looked back. You know, I didn't look back, but if I made it to 10th Street, I wouldn't be here today because I would have got ran over. Hmm. Um, now, now, this is a question from Ben. He told me to ask you this. When you first started going to recovery um, program back in 1986, what would you have said if somebody claimed they have been clean for 10 years? Nah, nah. I know 10 years. You can't stay clean 10 minutes. How you going to 10 years? You know, when I first went to recovery, I could see no 10 years, no 5 years. I can see one year. Because everybody I knew got high. Everybody I knew. I didn't knew nobody that didn't get high. Mm -hmm. You know, I know my mom and daddy then, but I'm saying people like us, no, man, we 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 all get high. You talking about some five years after they lie like I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> I didn't believe it was a certain thing as a, a one-year opinion, a five-year opinion, a 10-year opinion, a 20-year opinion. And you know, and I got a 10-year opinion, ooh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. How have you resisted going back to that old life? Resisted the temptations? And well, you know, I live in the project. For now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> For the last nine years, I lived in the project. And I smell a lot of drugs. I smell a lot of drugs. And I, I keep my home on some gospel music. That's right. Or a preacher. Preacher. Because a lot of night, I balls up in a fetal position. And cry, I don't do it now. You know, I did that for the fruit, fruit year because my body be craving bad for drugs because I used for 36 years. You know, and um, your uh, standing tone and dopamine in your brain, they, they, they cry. They, they beg. You know, they, they were beg. And so I had to, you know, stay 
they with Jesus, I had to keep my eyes on him. And, and not on the fleshly man that come to my house. A lot of a lot of users come to my house because they be thinking I'm gonna slip back into the to my old way. But I don't I know what I went through out there. Don't nobody know what I went through by me. I know every child or the heartaches and the pain I went through using drugs. And I went to prison for 17 years, six times. And I never did see myself going to prison. But I went because of drugs. And I don't never, never want that on nobody. And I feel like uh, coming to celebrate recovery or in a them 12 steps in the book work, you can quit blaming other people. You'll start looking at yourself. Yeah. And you so then you won't say, well, Pastor Matthew did this him, but you won't have to say but. You'll say, well, I, I did it to Pastor Matthew. And you know what I'm sorry. You won't have to say, but he did it. You can learn to be accountable for your action. And then you can learn how to forgive people who have hurt you and move on. You know, them step studies in them 12 steps will make you see yourself from a part that you had never seen yourself. And it taught me a lot. And I love it. Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> just, just one more, one more question. Talk about some of the blessings that uh, that's that God's given you since you've got this new life in Christ. Well, I've been blessed to meet my friend Little Larry. You know, at, at this church, I, I would never thought me and Larry would come to church together. I've been knowing him since I've been in school. But I'm bigger him. <laughs> you know. But if it wasn't been for ENA, or it's a guy named Richard Newton, we were if it wasn't if he wouldn't have been trying to beat me down. And I don't know whether he was trying to run me back out there or what, but if he wanna ran me from ENA, I wouldn't have been here and celebrate recovery to meet all y'all. And it, and it's a blessing. To meet, meet y'all, especially the Thoreau family, except for the one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love you too, Willie. Oh, you do? Uh, okay. I feel the love. I feel the love. All right. Thank you, Willie, for sharing with us. You guys give it up for Willie. Uh, anything else you want to say? Because yeah, these tears what coming out. It ain't no sad tears. These some happy tears. Because if y'all know what I've been through and where I am today, ooh, Lord, yeah. these, these some good tears. <laughs> I love you, Pastor Matthew. I love you too, Willie. Really. Thank you, man. Thank I love y'all. Just, just one more, one more thought, one more thought. Uh, you can go, Will. You can go sit okay. down. And I'm going to close. Jesus came 
to bring a new offer on the table. And that new offer on the table is a new life. I want you to see this last miracle here. Because it wasn't just that Jesus came to turn water into wine. But I want you to notice real quick that there is not only new life in Christ for the here and now, but there's also this new life in Christ which gives us a better hope for our future. When the, when the wine runs out, it was custom that the groom was responsible for bringing the wine. And the miracle isn't so much how Jesus turns water into wine, but there's another miracle that's happening here. It is how Jesus took the place of the bridegroom. Because because of the failures of the groom, Jesus stepped in and said, I'm the ultimate bridegroom. I'm here to replace all of you grooms and your failures. I'm here to, to give you a brighter future and a better hope because there will be people that fail you. I mean, you had one job. Go to the grocery store and get enough wine for the week. Right? Come on, man. You should have said amen right there, right? <laughs> Like, I thought I put that on the grocery list, Matthew. (laughs) Happens all the time. But Jesus here takes our place. Despite our failures as people, Jesus comes on and he says, I'm going to give you a greater miracle because I'm going to point to something different than just the wine. I'm going to point to you that I am the bridegroom coming for a bride who is spotless. And how do you become spotless? It's through the wine. It's through the blood of Christ. I just want to pray, and in just a moment, we're going to take communion.